Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Mike Sports Roundup. I'm Michael Zabo, live here on WSJU Radio in our Marillac Hall studios on the campus of St. John's University here on this March 22nd to bring you a loaded edition of the Roundup today. Uh, we got a lot to break down today, talking about uh, the first weekend of action for March Madness. A lot to cover there, a lot of upsets um, this weekend, a lot of great games. We'll also talk a little bit later on some soccer. We'll also talk some uh, NFL free agency, especially after the Giants' big move um, yesterday and what that means for them going forward um, in this offseason. But first, we'll make sure um, to put out once uh, we'll put out once again out there. Uh, make sure to follow my Twitter page at, at underscore and sports roundup um, uh, and my Instagram page at uh, Michael underscore Zabo to follow all updates about the show and uh, when they're posted to our Spotify and Anchor platforms. Uh, each show, of course, is always up there um, after each edition every week. Um, so check out all of our episodes on Spotify and Anchor by searching up Mike Sports Roundup. Um, so starting off today, as always, with March Madness, I'm going to start off with the game that we had today. We we went through the first weekend of action um, this past weekend, um, the Sweet Sixteens wrapping up. Uh, the uh, second round games are wrapping up today, um, with the West and uh, East sides uh, of the bracket. I guess you could say um, we had the other side. Uh, w- one side of the bracket went yesterday in the second round games. The other, the Gonzaga side down to Alabama will finish off today, and we'll have our Sweet Sixteen set. The Sweet Sixteen will get underway. Uh, next weekend. Um, but we got a lot to cover. First off, we'll start off with the Oregon and Iowa game today, and then we'll go into the Big East and local teams, and we'll go from there. Um, but, you know, today, first uh, um, first second round game of today, um, we got a loaded slate, of course, uh, today in the NCAA tournament. Um, Oregon, seven seed Oregon, providing a shocking upset of number two seed Iowa defeating the Hawkeyes 95-80. to And this was an offensive clinic. There was just no defense whatsoever. Defense was optional in this game. Uh, Both teams went to halftime um, with uh, both teams hovering in the high 40s at halftime. Um, So this was a a game that just right from the get-go was high-octane. Oregon's uh, all five starters were in... um, uh, four out of their five, or, or four out of five Oregon of Oregon starters were in double figures um, in this game. Luca Garza had a great game for Iowa with um, 36 points and nine rebounds in his and now his final collegiate game as he will graduate at the end of the semester. Um, so a, a great final game for him, but just no not too much help around him to be able to help him get the win. Um, but Oregon just, I mean, this was just, this was not an upset. It was an absolute demolition job on the Iowa Hawkeyes. This is a number two seed, uh, Iowa, who had expectations of a national championship, who at the very least um, had the expectation to get to an uh, get to the elite eight and face possibly Gonzaga. Um, you know that was their expectation. And they've fallen well below it. 
And just like a lot of other teams that we've seen this past week weekend fall victim to a huge upset, not only just an upset, this game, uh, Oregon just took over in the end of the first half uh, up into the, um, obviously, the rest of the second half. This game between the Ducks and the Hawkeyes, with two minutes left to go in the first half, the game was tied. And Oregon would reel off a 21-5 to run and just never would look back from there. Iowa just looked completely lost on defense, did not have an answer whatsoever. And, I mean, yeah, they scored 80 points, but like I said, no defense whatsoever. And Oregon was just, um, you know, they were just hitting Iowa from everywhere. And it was really their starters. Oregon didn't really have that much bench scoring, while Iowa had about 20 points off the bench. It was really Oregon's starters that were getting it done. And especially from beyond the arc. Um, Iowa, not really a typically good three-point, um, uh, good at defending the three-point line. Um, uh, Oregon really took advantage of that and blitzed them um, from beyond the arc. They shot 44% from three-point range compared to Iowa's 32. And overall in the game, shot 55%. And once again, gets the 15-point win. Oregon is obviously, for St. John's fans, you know of Oregon because um, L.J. Figueroa transferred uh, to the Oregon Ducks um, last summer in the offseason, transferred um, to Oregon, got an immediately immediate eligibility waiver, and, of course, able to play this year. And he's been um, you know, a really good player for them. Um, you know, Dana Altman called him the X factor in their lead up to the NCAA tournament and figure all in what was Oregon, mind you, it was Oregon's first game action of the NCAA tournament as they did have the, their original first round game against VCU was canceled because of uh, too many COVID cases within the VCU program in the lead up to the tournament. So that game was ruled too risky um, to play. So by default, and them being the higher seed, Oregon advanced to play this game against Iowa. And, I mean, in your first game action of the NCAA tournament, there were no nerves whatsoever. The offense was firing on both sides, and they were able to put a, put together enough stops to really make this a comfortable win over Iowa. But L.J. Figueroa going for 21 points and 7 rebounds um, in his first NCAA action. Um with Oregon for his NCAA tournament game. Um, so a great performance from him. Sad for all us St. John's fans. It's not um, with the Red Storm. But, you know, it's a great story for him there. O.J. Figueroa, it's, he's getting exactly what he wanted to be able to go and get a, a, a go to a place where he can showcase himself a little bit, especially in the big dance, um, to try and have a pro career somewhere, whether it's the NBA um, or anywhere else. But he's in a really good setup, um, you know, almost in the setup uh, that he had in the first year that he came to St. John's where he wasn't the focal point. Other guys in, or, in Oregon are really the main focal point where Figueroa is more of a secondary scorer, and that's where he thrives a little bit more, in my opinion. Um, so a great game for him, 21-7, and seven, and Oregon are headed to the Sweet 16. Um, so a great win for them there. So let's backtrack a little bit into 
uh, the weekend games, and we'll we'll break down the Big East and some local teams as the Big East has sort of had uh, a rough tournament, I guess you could say. Um, they've had four teams, uh, b- the Big East in this tournament, which is um, pretty low for what we know of them. The Big East has normally put um, at least four teams into the tournament. If, if Georgetown did not win the um, Big East tournament, it would have been the lowest amount of uh, bids the Big East got to the tournament um, since the early uh, 1990s. Um, so still dealing with only four out of 11 going to uh, the Big East, uh, the NCAA tournament. Um, the Big East went two for two this weekend, uh, two and two um, uh, this weekend. So um, Georgetown... Um, uh, Georgetown got um, knocked out. Um, you had Villanova. Uh, we'll start off with Georgetown. Let's start off um, uh, with uh, Georgetown um, in this game. Uh, and, and they played against Colorado. Um, Georgetown, this was a team that in a 5-12 matchup uh, uh, that a lot of people had predicted an upset in. Um, you know, you had Georgetown come into Madison Square Garden in the Big East tournament, not really expecting much. But then you heard about the Colin Gillespie news and Georgetown along with everybody else on that side of the bracket um, with Villanova in the Big East tournament got excited because they, you know, Vill- um, Villanova shorthanded, didn't have Gillespie. Justin Moore was not 100%. So they're ripe for the taking. Georgetown was able to get past Marquette and put together one of the more unbelievable runs that we've seen in recent uh, Big East tournament memory and just, um, you know, be able to win the Big East championship. And the way they they played in that game against, in the title game against Creighton is probably one of the most dominant uh, title-clinching uh, performances that you've seen in the history of the Big East tournament. So Georgetown had a little bit of hype riding into the NCAA tournament and rightly so. They were playing some of their best basketball that, frankly, they have played in, you know, maybe a year and a half. Um, some of their best stretch of basketball in a while. Um, really started toward the end of February into March uh, and in through that Big East tournament. And so a lot of people were picking this matchup between uh, the Hoyas and uh, the Buffaloes as an upset. And a lot of people are let down because Georgetown... Just reverted back to regular season Georgetown, where they were, they were a very below average team in the Big East. They, uh, you know, just keep in mind if they did not win the Big East tournament, uh, they would not have had a prayer to get anywhere near um, the Big Dance. Um, so Georgetown, they in, they just did not know what defending the three point line meant. Colorado took full advantage of that. Um, you know, in the first half, you see a lot of guys uh, that were just completely wide open to knock down a three. The Buffaloes um, put in 11 three-pointers in the first half on Georgetown, and a lot of them were just wide open looks that, honestly, you would expect any D1 college basketball player to make. And Georgetown just were all over the place defensively and just put themselves in a hole that they couldn't recover from. So Georgetown, after all that hype, after all that momentum in the Big East tournament um, and all of the press surrounding them, um, you know, 
through through the Big East tournament and shortly thereafter, after they won the uh, the title game, you know that was just all gone away. The snap of your fingers right away in the first round, and Colorado moves on to take on uh, to take on Florida State. Um, but yeah, Georgetown goes down 96 to 73. So right away, that was one Big East team gone. Yeah, Creighton, uh, Creighton, which um, another one. We'll get to uh, Villanova in a sec, but um, Creighton was a team where Villanova. We'll talk about in a second. Had a lot of questions because of injuries and because of not having Colin Gillespie. Um, a lot of people questioned whether they were, um, you know, whether they were going to do anything in the tournament. They're prone to an upset. All all of those storylines had begun to build about Villanova. Um, in the wake of Colin Gillespie's injury and the question marks surrounding the health of Justin Moore. So actually, let's get into the Wildcats. Um, Villanova, like I said, it came in with a lot of people doubting them. You know, they figured that Winthrop plays. Jay Wright described it um, beforehand that Winthrop played a lot like a mixture of Creighton and Butler with how fast they play and how disciplined they are. Um, so you thought this is a team that uh, could potentially knock off the Wildcats without uh, Colin Gillespie and who knows what you're getting from Justin Moore. Ultimately, Justin Moore was pretty much back to 100%, pretty much healthy, and he was in the game. Chris Archidiakono also provide, uh, provided some great minutes uh, for Villanova, and he's filled in in Gillespie's shoes well enough. They're not, they're not expecting him to do anything crazy on the scoring end, but he's been solid um, for them. So Villanova would, uh, after some early scares, uh, Winthrop, Winthrop had um, built up a, a little bit of a lead or kept it close throughout uh, the first half. Um, but Villanova eventually really got control of the game, beat Winthrop 73-63. to And then Villanova, their eyes really got wide open after the, a huge upset um, right next to them in the bracket. Number four seed Purdue going uh, down to number 13 seed North Texas. Now you're thinking this is a, a nice and easier path uh, to the Sweet 16. And it, it was so for Villanova as they just did an absolute demolition job on North Texas, 84-61. to 61. So after all the doubts being placed on Villanova, um, after all of the concerns about, um, you know, the the injury to Colin Gillespie was going going to make them prone to an upset, and all the narratives that Villanova was uh, prone to an early exit um, were all dispelled, and now they're in the Sweet 16. Believe me, I was one of them that said that. I was one of them that doubted um, um, Villanova and their ability to do anything in this tournament because of the injuries um, surrounding them. But granted, as we all saw, that I and many others um, were wrong. I went on uh, um, the Eastern Observer with uh, Joey Jarzinka. Shout out to him. Thanks for inviting me on um, to talk about um, all things March Madness right before the first four. And I said this about Villanova, that they were, um, you know, that they were done. The, no Colin Gillespie... Uh, Justin Moore is kind of up in the air with his bad ankle. Um, this is a team that can get upset. Uh, at the very least, they only win one game. Um, but granted, um, good friend Kevin Connolly was the one that actually was a smart person 
in the room, and you know J Jay Wright is Jay Wright, and Villanova is Villanova, and they proved it once again. You can't bet uh, against Villanova. It's almost as bad of a bet as betting against Tom Brady in the playoffs. Um, so Villanova, out of all the negative press and headlines and doubts around them, uh, go uh, to the Sweet 16 once again under Jay Wright and will take on Baylor in a big-time uh, matchup. But over now to Creighton. Um, Villanova, as much as I've just talked about them, really carrying the banner of the Big East um, once again. And because of the fact that Creighton... Um, Creighton, I think a lot uh, people were... As much as people worried about Villanova, I think people were a lot more worried about Creighton, especially the way um, in which they played in the Big East championship game against Georgetown. That was an absolute no-show getting creamed, 73-48. to They just got their clocks cleaned on that Saturday night. Um, so I think coming out of that, a lot of people were concerned about this team and saying, what's going on with the Blue Jays? You know, could also the the Greg McDermott situation be affecting them as well? Um, and the fact of how they just, um, you know, just how they lost, just how they were just a total no-show in the, that Big East title game just left, um, you know, a horrible feeling um, with people uh, about the Blue Jays and their chances in this tournament, the chance, chances to even get past the first round. I certainly bet against them. Uh, and bet UC Santa Barbara to pull off the 5-12 upset. Um, but yet, Creighton pulled a tight win out, 63-62. to By no means did um, they put any instill any comfort in anybody. Nearly getting upset by UC Santa Barbara, needing some uh, last-second heroics there in order to get past the, uh, the Guachos. Um, but now they advance to play... Another uh, a Cinderella story um, being written in 13-seed Ohio. They'll play them later this evening after um, the Bobcats upset Virginia 62-58 to on Saturday. The, the story of Jason Preston is one that inspires us. It is one that it's just written in the March Madness star, uh, stars. We've seen this over and over for years now. You know, th this, this is a kind of... A story that you love to see with lower seeds that the NCAA just feeds off of and loves that sort uh, of thing happening in March Madness where you see these great underdogs take down um, the big opponents and be able to make a Cinderella run that nobody would have thought was possible. And this one just uh, feels just as sweet in that you have Jason Preston who re did barely played um, in hi in high school, barely played basketball. Was actually a um a, a beat writer on Fan Sided, writing about the Detroit Pistons. I mean, I mean I'm uh, if any of you don't know, I'm also a, a writer on Fan Sided, covering everything and and anything uh, St. John's athletics. And you know, take a little inspiration out of that story. A guy who you know. You can I can relate to a lot of other people um, can re relate to and that this was just a kid that you know he's a high schooler you know college or whatnot 
maybe wanting to get into a career in sports journalism. Eh, dabbles a little bit in basketball on the side, but doesn't really look like it has a chance to make it into a career. And all of a sudden, he gets some looks, he gets some opportunities, and he's at Ohio, and now he's in the NCAA tournament after a season where he's averaged 16 points a game and puts in a double-double against, well, technically the defending national champion since um, Virginia won in 2019 and last year's tournament was canceled, and got Ohio the upset win. And I think they're going to beat Creighton. Uh, we'll see what happens later tonight, but I do have the prediction that Ohio will win. Um, you know, it's just it's just a great, you know, story sort of written in the stars. Like, um, you know, if they get past Creighton, they're probably going to have to face off against Gonzaga. I mean, just for the NCAA, wouldn't you gobble up that storyline? You know, Gonzaga, the big... Uh, uh, the the big bad opponent that is you know twenty seven and zero looking to go and get uh, and repeat the nineteen seventy six Indiana Hoosiers and have a perfect season. They've looked absolutely unstoppable on all season. Nobody's been able to do so. They have Suggs. They have Timmy. They have Kispert. They have all these different weapons. You know, and then on the other side you have this team. That's an upstart team uh, with uh, Jason Preston and all the stuff I just mentioned about him going up against this Goliath. It's the ultimate David versus Goliath story. Who doesn't love that kind of story? I think the NCAA would love wanting to see that kind of story. I know I go to a Big East school, but I think a lot of people would love to see an Ohio versus Gonzaga matchup no matter how it would turn out just for the storylines leading up um, into that game. Um, so we'll see what happens um, with Creighton in that one after they advance. And then you had UConn, who lost to Maryland on Saturday night. Um, UConn really, um, they were really chasing that game the en- entire time. Lost 63-52, um, to 52, chasing it, uh, one, once again, as I mentioned, chasing it a lot of the time. James Booknight had 15 points um, in that loss. Um, so UConn, for a lot of people, a lot of people thought UConn, especially the way they play on defense, was a team that p- potentially could uh, make it to the Sweet 16 um, or even the Elite Eight, make a, be a dark horse and make a little bit of a run. Um, but nonetheless, that um, falls on its face and they fall right away um, to Maryland, who is one of the few teams that um, is left standing in the Big Ten, who would have thought that Maryland um, would have been one of the few teams left in the NCAA tournament? The Big Ten who's had an absolutely um, horrible tournament. Almost uh, nine Big Ten teams in this tournament, and it's now down to two at only the Sweet 16. A lot of teams in the mix that had expectations to get to the Elite Eight or possibly a Final Four, even a championship, all gone. We'll get to some of those. Um, in a second, but yeah, the Big East, um, you have uh, Villanova and Creighton moving on while UConn and Georgetown both drop out um, right away. Um, so moving on to some of the other local teams, you had Iona, who's trying to repeat Oral Roberts and that great story by Oral Roberts being um, not only taking down Ohio State as a 15 seed in a 15 uh, a 2 versus 15 matchup but 
Uh, Oral Roberts now only the second ever 15 seed uh, to make it to a Sweet 16 following up Florida Gulf Coast about 10 years ago. Um, and uh, um, Iona couldn't be able to uh, repeat that feat as they faced off against the Alabama Crimson Tide. They lost uh, to them 68-55. to um, So Iona bows out uh, of the tournament right away. But uh, Rick Pitino's men will surely be encouraged by the season that they had after all the the pauses that they've had to deal with this season being able to have the season that they have that that they had and make it to the NCAA tournament it's impressive for them they could be one to watch in the next coming years out of the MAC um St. Bonaventure you also had them lose in an 8-9 game to LSU um 76 uh to 61 LSU is a team I have in my bracket, and I know a lot of people do, have them making a run, especially um, with uh, uh, Michigan dealing with the injury to Isaiah Livers that a lot of people have them doubting their ability to go far um, in this tournament. The Livers is really such a key piece um, for them. So we'll have that LSU and Michigan um, matchup and see what happens there. Last night, you also had a heartbreaker with Rutgers coming out of New Jersey. Lost in the second round last night. They beat Clemson 60-56 to in the first round in a rock fight of a game, a game that was close the entire time. Rutgers was able to uh, just do enough to get the win there and, moves, uh, and moved on to play Houston in the second round. And it was just a heartbreaker for Rutgers, who looked like, as you went late on in this game, looked like they were going to be able to provide the upset and be the first uh, tri-state area team to make it, uh, not tri-state area, but New York City, New Jersey area uh, team to make it to a Sweet 16 since Seton Hall in 2000. Um, And they were literally five minutes away from doing so. They're up nine with under five minutes to go, and they they just threw the game away. Um, Didn't execute well on offense. I think they tried... Uh, to play, uh, to manage the clock too much. Um, they tried to have these long possessions and uh, manage the clock while it was a, a close game. You don't want to be really, really be stretching the shot clock down um, and like running the clock down when you are in a three-point game. Just execute your offense and finish off the game. And I think uh, Rutgers really um, wound up settling. Yeah, force and when you run the clock down like that, and then you're getting down to you know five seconds on the shot clock, you're just gonna have to settle with the best shot available. Rutgers was doing that way uh, too many times. Houston's defense was able to um, hold strong in the last couple of minutes and get them the win, um, but really disappointing for Rutgers there. And what it looked like they were going to be able to make it to the Sweet 16. They played a great 35 minutes and then. That's the last five minutes just really fell apart. Um, but, yeah, that's the area teams. That's the Big East teams. Let's look at the tournament as a whole uh, on some of the weekend games. We had upsets galore in this um, in this, in this weekend, in this first weekend. Upsets all over the place. Um, you know, normally in the NCAA tournament, you know upsets come with the territory. Um, you know, it's it's not that um, surprising to see upsets. 
I mean, that's what we watch the NCAA tournament for. Um, you know, it's it's why we all love it. Um, but the the thing is, I think nobody really expected to have this many upsets. I think there have been more tournaments, uh, there have been more upsets in this year's edition of the tournament than in any other. Now, whatever the factor that is for, whether it is because of no fans or... Um, although there are some fans at some of the games, um, but a, still a limited amount. Um, you know, whether it's just been the pandemic and the unpredictability of a pandemic season, um, you know, and all the conditions associated with it or whatnot, who knows whatever the factor is, but we've seen, it feels like we've seen a lot more upsets than usual, especially, you know, talking about an Oral Roberts storyline them getting two wins in this tournament going to the Sweet 16. Um, but we also had Loyola Chicago um, provide um, a big upset over Illinois, a demolition job over Illinois. And, and the way they've been playing really question um, whether they should have been seeded um, as a number eight seed out of the Midwest region. You also had Syracuse um, providing a big upset um, over West Virginia, they already gave a 6-11 upset um, to San Diego State in the first round and then upset number three seed West Virginia in the second round to go to the Sweet 16 and face off against Houston. Um, you know, I, I think when we talk about upsets, it's we've seen them across the board. Abilene Christian is another one that comes to mind, defeating uh, Texas 53-52. to Texas was a team that... Uh, many people thought could go to the Final Four, um, you know, and they get beat in the first round anyway. But I think the Midwest region is one that has just been blown wide open. Yes, there have been upsets all across the board, but there are still quite a bit uh, of, you know, teams that you'd normally expect um, to be in the Sweet 16 are there. You've had upsets in the South, where in the South region, where North Texas upset Purdue, Oral Roberts we mentioned before, um, and uh, you know those sort of games. But you still have the likes of Villanova, Arkansas in there, um, Baylor. So those people haven't got upset. There's still some normalcy in those kind of regions. In the West, of course, you have Gonzaga, you have Creighton, you have Kansas, um, you have. And maybe Oregon you didn't expect as much, but they've still always been a pretty good team in the last couple of years that it's not as crazy as something like Oral Roberts. Um, in the East region, you still have Florida State, you still have Michigan, um, you still have Alabama. So it's not like the Midwest region where chaos has just ensued. Um, you know, in the Midwest region, you had number one seed Illinois gone. Loyola Chicago beat them in an Absolute clinic of a game. Great game plan run by Porter, uh, Porter Moser. Um, just an unbelievable game that they played on both ends um, of the floor, um, winning 71-58 to against Illinois. Um, Illinois had legitimate national championship expectations. I expected them to be in the title game and then lose to Gonzaga. That was my expectation for the Elite. Um, but they wind up falling um, in the second round, shockingly. You know, you can't can't bet against Sister Jean. And I give them every chance uh, to be able to make it once again to the Elite Eight by beating Oregon State. You give, give them 
every chance to do so. Cameron Crutwig is just absolutely amazing. He's such a great passer, such a great feel for the game. Put an absolute clinic against Illinois. But you have Illinois, like I said, who had expectations of a national championship and are just gone. Um, you had, then you even had Oklahoma State, who even as as a four seed, has has the presumptive number one pick in this year's NBA draft, and Cade Cunningham, who a lot of people may have expected to make a uh, a, a bit of a run in this tournament, stopped by bid stealer Oregon State, um, number twelve seed, stopped right there. You had a, a, another situation with West Virginia, number three seed. Taken out by number 11 seed Syracuse, making the Sweet Sits team once again. Jim Beheim doing his things with his son now, Buddy Beheim there. Um, another upset there. Um, Rutgers almost provide. Rutgers would have just really blown open this bracket even more. Uh, that side of the bracket even more than it already is as a 10 seed if they would have finished off Houston. But even so, defeating Clemson um, in the 7 to 10 matchup. You know, that Midwest region, just absolute chaos on that side of the bracket. Who knows if that will spread um, to the rest of the bracket in the next um, coming days. Um, but just it's just been a really fun NCAA tournament. Um, you know, the upsets, a lot of people get upset about it, but I, I think, the uh, you know, at this point, my bracket is toast, so why not? Um, it's just fun to watch all the time. Who doesn't like watching an underdog sometimes um, and seeing what they can do? Um, you know, I think it's absolutely fun. I think we got a, a lot of uh, slate uh, games on the slate today, so that's going to be fun um, to watch. Currently, right now, we have Gonzaga taking on Oklahoma. Gonzaga is up by 12 at halftime. Expect them to win the game and move on. Uh, we got a lot of great matchups tonight. UCLA and Abilene Christian. Great matchup between double-digit se- uh, double seeds there. LSU and Michigan, uh, I mentioned before. USC and Kansas, underrated, great game. Evan Mobley there and the Trojans um, taking on the Jayhawks. That's a very underrated game. I think it's going to be a great game. I believe that the Trojans will provide the upset, calling that uh, right now. But... Um, and see what happens with the rest of the second round. And then, of course, the Sweet 16 next week as this exciting NCAA tournament um, keeps on going. We've been waiting for this for two years thanks to the coronavirus, and boy, has it delivered. So let's see what happens um, in the next uh, coming matchups, next coming days. We'll see what happens um, with the bracket. And, of course, um, in the next coming weeks, we'll cover it all and recap it here on the on the roundup but right now we're going to move over recap a little bit of soccer and then we'll talk a little bit about NFL free agency before wrapping up the show um so you go back a little bit um to last uh week didn't have a chance to get to um the champions we just want to round out the champions league action we've been busy with March Madness last week and this week so um didn't have a chance last week to touch upon it but so We'll address the Champions League this week. So, um, some of the other, um, some of the other uh, round of sixteen games that we had, um, you know, previously, we had Juventus losing to Porto on away goals, four-four aggregate. 
um, in a 3-2 game. Um, ultimately, Juventus losing. Uh, three, uh, Juventus won 3-2 on the game, but lost on aggregate 4-4 on away goals. Absolutely unbelievable upset by Porto. You expected that, um, even though they were going um, into um, the second leg tied, you would have expected um, Juventus at home with Cristiano Ronaldo to be able to pull it out. But Ronaldo surprisingly quiet in that game and not being able to do his normal thing uh, and, and not really having much of an impact in the game. Very shocking that that game there by Juventus. And especially um, the goal that really put Porto through in the game. What ultimately wind, wound up to be the... the uh, the matchup, I guess you could say, the the goal that sealed the tie, um, the, you know, it was from a, f- a long free kick. I'm just not really too sure what was going on in the Juventus wall there. You, uh, Ronaldo, you you saw him jumping and turning. A couple of other of his teammates really separating, and the wall really uh, just a huge gap in the wall winds up going underneath them and uh, taking a deflection off of Ronaldo, I believe. I mean, not his fault taking the deflection, but the wall just had just fell apart. Um, you could argue if, uh, um, you know, if Chesney, the goalkeeper for Juventus, could have done better. Um, but, I mean, the ball was coming in fast, and uh, it was such a way that the deflection really threw him off, wasn't able to react until the last second, and just not able to get over in time. But Juventus is... One that is really disappointing, once again, not being able to get past the round of 16. Um, it, it's a shame for Andrea Pirlo, a guy who was a great player um, in in Europe in general and uh, for Juventus in the last couple of years of his career. He's a great legacy as a player, but really is not going to last too long as Juventus manager because, you know, face the fact, Juventus is a team that prides itself on winning, especially in recent years. They, they've they won nine straight uh, Serie A titles in Italy, um, and they've been knocking on the door to win a Champions League for years now. And they thought Ronaldo would be able to deliver them to that promised land and uh, bring a Champions League title back to Turin. But it hasn't happened. It's not only hasn't happened. They haven't been close to it last couple of years. Got knocked out in the quarterfinal, knocked out in the round of 16, knocked out in the round of 16 again. And they're not doing well domestically either. They're going, it looks like by the day, they're going, uh, by the week, it seems more and more that they're going to lose um, the Serie A this year. Um, Which, I mean, you would have expected. I mean, it's hard enough to win nine straight. Uh, domestic champions, uh, domestic titles. Um, you know, it's hard enough to start pushing that to ten. As of right now, they are eleven points behind leaders Inter Milan. Although both teams have a game in hand, um, so but as of right now, their Juventus are in third place, so eleven points behind, um, with about uh, ten games left to go, ten eleven games left to go in the season, so it's really looking improbable for them um, to be able to um, retain their crown this year, and, and listen, that's natural, you know, you can't, at some point the streak is going to end, you can't win it every year, 
some point, you know, nine straight is just an incredible feat, but it can't last forever. And unfortunately, Andrea Pirlo is just going to be that guy in the managerial chair that will be the one always labeled as the guy to oversee um, Juventus losing their streak of titles. It was going to happen to somebody, but, you know, Andrea Pirlo is just in the unfortunate circumstance that it's him. You would have... If you were pro- probably the Juventus board, you could stomach the fact that, hey, we're probably not going to win domestically this year, but if that means we sacrifice that in order to win the Champions League, you take that trade any day. But that's not going to happen, and it doesn't look like they're really going to get a title this season other than, you know, the, the, um, other than the Coppa Italia. I mean, they're really not... Other than that, they're really not looking... Uh, they're really not going to get any big trophy um, that they really set out uh, to go and get this season. So a uh, disappointing um, season uh, for Juventus, a disappointing Champions League exit once again. He also had PSG and Barcelona tied in their second leg, uh, 1-1. Um, but, of course, uh, PSG advances um, on aggregate 5-2 after they um, beat Barcelona in the first leg, four to one in the camp. Now, um, I think what's underrated about that game is that um, Barcelona actually had a chance to provide the improbable comeback, just like they did a couple of years ago. Um, they had a lot of chances on goal. They had a couple of shots that got that went off the post or were just wide. They had many of those chances, uh, those type of chances in the game. And um, they were just not able to put it away. Just not clinical enough uh, or get unlucky um, uh, to finish those off. They actually, you know, they had a shot to be able to, um, you know, give PSG a shock and come back in this tie. Um, but not to be, you know, whether it's crossbar or ju- or an unlucky miss, just not able uh, to put together... Um, you know the uh, enough uh, goals in order to come back, um, but the one goal that did come through Lionel Messi, what an absolute uh, goal it was! What an absolute beauty um, from about 35 yards out, just an, a missile of a strike to the top left corner. Um, and who knows, that could be Lionel Messi's last Champions League goal with Barcelona. As still hasn't signed a contract with them. Um, really looked like um, last year that he, last summer that he was going to leave, um, but apparently the board would not let him, um, would not let him leave for free, just void the contract and let him uh, leave for free, or just let him leave on some nominal amount or something like that. Um, you know, just did everything possible to keep him, whether it was uh, whether it was even a you know against his wishes. Um, they just didn't let him go, and it looked like the first chance that Messi would get, he would leave Barcelona, a club that he's been with since he was 13 years old, uh, through the academies and up, of course, into the first team. Um, you know, and it still could be possible. I think the fact that Barcelona, ever since, um, even right before they were they were knocked out in the Champions League, um, they've been playing well as of late, domestically. And I think, um, you know, 
that might inspire Messi to be able to want to stay um, and, and to, uh, you know, to re-sign and finish his career um, out in Barcelona. And you would have, would uh, probably about 10 months ago, you would have been called crazy to think that because the the body language and tone that Messi expressed really gave the message that as soon as the contract is up, as soon as he has the first chance to leave, he's gone. That was the impression that was given off. But it kind of looks like he has a chance to stay. Barcelona has legitimate chances um, at uh, winning La Liga this year after Atletico Madrid is really falling apart um, this season. You know, they were once had a double-digit lead in La Liga with a couple of games in hand, and now it's only a four-point lead. It's totally evaporated. Four-point lead with ten games left. Still plenty of time um, to be able to catch Atletico. Um, It's just shocking how um, right now Atletico's season is is unraveling there. Um, But Barcelona, who knows? Messi could be convinced to stay if they do... um, you know, win La Liga with a team like this that, other than him, may be sort of considered as a rebuilding team under Ronald Koeman. Um, you know, a lot of good pieces, but, you know, not enough to really challenge for something like the Champions League or whatnot. Maybe if he does win, has a lot of youth in it, maybe if he does win the, the La Liga um, with this sort of squad and the de- deficit at which they were at. They were at one point 10 points behind Atletico with Atletico having about two or three games in hand. Um, and now it's just a four, It's a real title race. A four-point uh, four gap between um, Atletico and Barcelona. And you extend it out to third place. Real Madrid sits points behind. Um, still possibilities there, but... I think if they, Barcelona does win the title over the storylines and circumstances that have surrounded them this year, I think Lionel Messi will be motivated to stay. Interesting storyline to monitor there. And you also had Liverpool beating RB Leipzig once again uh, 2 nothing in advance, 4 nothing on aggregate. Two 2 nothing wins uh, by Liverpool in a fairly easy round of 16 Doesn't uh, tie. Doesn't really get that much easier in the Champions League than what Liverpool did over there. Uh, two legs against Leipzig. Then you also had last week, you had Real Madrid um, winning the second leg 3-1 to one against Atalanta, 4-1 on aggregate. So they'll be moving on to the quarterfinals. Um, then you also had Bayern beating Lazio 2-1 uh, to one in the second leg, 6-2 to two on aggregate. So Bayern really just in a cruise control in that second leg. It was really already decided after beating Lazio 5-1 in the first go-around. Then you had Man City beating Borussia Mönchengladbach 2-0 again, just like Liverpool, 2-2-0 wins um, against their opponents for a 4-0 aggregate win. Once again, can't get much easier than that in the Champions League. And then you had Chelsea beating Atletico Madrid, providing the shock, winning 2-0 at home in Stamford Bridge. Um and 3 nothing on aggregate after a one nothing win um away from home. Uh, this is this was a result that you really didn't expect even 2 months ago. Um that when you saw this 
round of 16 draw being announced in Chelsea Atletico Madrid, you would have figured that Atletico Madrid would have had it in hand. They were doing well in La Liga. Um, they were looking like a team that could make a deep Champions League run. Um, and Chelsea were just looking all out of sorts. Not in good form under Frank Lampard, but things have totally changed. Atletico Madrid has really been in a slump for almost about a month now. Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel have looked uh, absolutely revitalized, especially defensively. They've been really solid and proved it once again uh, uh, against Atletico Madrid. And shockingly, moving to the quarterfinal. So in the aftermath of that, we had the quarterfinal draw, and it's announced that Real Madrid will go up against uh, Liverpool. Man City uh, will take on um, Borussia Dortmund, who won in some of the earlier ties that... um, we had talked about previously. Um, Bayern will take on PSG in a rematch of last uh, season's uh, title game. And uh, Porto versus Chelsea. So interesting matchups here. Also, it was revealed the rest of the bracket in that um, whoever um, wins with um, Bayern PSG will take on the winner of uh, Manchester City versus Dortmund. And then, of course, the winner of Real Madrid and Liverpool will take on the winner of Porto and Chelsea. Uh, I don't know why the UEFA decided to do that sort of um, draw because you could potentially pit the best club, the two best clubs in Europe as of right now, in my opinion, Bayern and Manchester City, in the semifinals rather than uh, a potential title game between the two. I think that is sort of disappointing and a real big miss on that part. But my just to fire off some quick predictions on that, I predict Real Madrid to take to take down Liverpool, uh, Man City to take down Dortmund. I think Dortmund's got a great attack and a great striker in Holland that will give Manchester City str- that will give Manchester City trouble. Um, but I think Man City will just be able to do enough defensively. And also, Dortmund don't have a great defense themselves. I think Man City will be will do enough uh, to get to the next round there. Bayern, um, you know, I just don't really see anybody beating them. The only one I think who ha- does have a chance is Man City. Um, Bayern will beat PSG um, pretty handily, in my opinion. Um, and I think Chelsea uh, will beat uh, Porto. Um, so that's my roundup on the Champions League. We'll see what will happen uh, this next week. Um, they are on an international break, so the Champions League will get back up and running um, on April 6th. So we'll see what's going on. We'll, you know, we'll recap that and talk about that action then. Um, but quickly, fire, firing off quickly um, before we finish off this show, got to touch on some NFL uh, free agency moves. Um, you know, once sort of March Madness kind of slips away in the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking. A lot more about the NFL and the lead-up to the draft net at the end of April. Um, but the um, some big moves around here locally will just, you know, and then, of course, the Dak Prescott deal will mention. Um, but the Giants signed Kenny Galladay to a four-year, $72 million deal uh, uh, Yes, on Saturday, uh, $40 million guaranteed. And it is negotiated in that it's only a $4.5 million cap uh, hit in 2021 for the Giants. So some good business there. And while I do think they need a lot of protection for Daniel Jones, I think this can only be seen as a positive. It's been 
talked about endlessly that the Giants really needed um, some playmakers um, in this offseason, whether that came from the draft or free agency, and they did get one of the best out on the market there from Kenny Galladay. Yeah, maybe you could argue they had to overpay a little bit, but they do actually um, get it to a nice cap number at just $4.5 million. Um, so I, I think it's only going to be positive for Daniel Jones uh, to have a weapon like that for Kenny Galladay. I think uh, in Kenny Galladay, I think for Jones, Galladay will really be um, his security blanket um, that he can really go to at a time when he really needs uh, when he really needs it. But I think going forward, I think the Giants have to prioritize um, some. Uh, protection from Jones, whether in free agency or in the draft at some point. Um, they also signed Leonard Williams to a three-year, $63 million deal. Cap hit as, is at $11 million on him, which um, is lower than the franchise tag that they had. The franchise tag was worth $19 million. Uh, they signed Kyle Rudolph to a two-year, $14 million deal. A little bit more depth at tight end with him and Evan Ingram, especially with Evan Ingram's uh, injury issues. Um, Dalvin Tomlinson, big uh, defensive piece for the Giants, walked um, for nothing to the Vikings for a two-year, $21 million deal. Not sure if they knew he was going to be gone, why the Giants did not decide to trade him in the middle of the season. But um, nonetheless, he does walk to Minnesota. Um, They signed QB Mike Glennon to back up Daniel Jones, a minor signing there. But um, we'll talk more about them um, as the draft comes closer in the next couple of weeks. The Jets also, they spent $75 million um, in free agency thus far. Um, they brought in wide receiver Corey Davis from Tennessee for uh, in a three-year $37 million deal. And very underrated signing. Nice receiver from Tennessee. I think will be a nice uh, weapon for Sam Darnold or if the Jets opt to, be, opt to pick a new quarterback, whether it's in um, the draft. Um, whether it's Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or, or whatnot. Um, and then they also signed Bengals pass rusher Carl Lawson, um, linebacker Gerard Davis on a one-year deal. Um, so a couple of moves uh, made there for the Jets. Been a pretty nice free agency move, but still plenty of work uh, to do for them. And then you had the big news last week. Um, right after, um, you know, we got off the air here, um, you know, Last Monday evening, um, Dak Prescott agreeing to a four-year, $160 million deal with the Dallas Cowboys, $126 million of it guaranteed with a record $66 million signing bonus. Um, the first three years will average about $42 million a year for Dak, um, but the cap hit, importantly for Dallas's payroll, the cap hit will only be $22 million, which saves Dallas $15 million on the cap after the franchise tag. Um, if they didn't sign Dak to a deal, the franchise tag would have been worth $37 million. So um, some good business there for Dallas. It's something that they had to do to retain Dak Prescott um, in order to stay in contention. They have a win-now team, and that was only going to continue to be true if they brought in Dak uh, Prescott. Uh, if they brought him in uh, back in on a long-term deal. It's something that's been in the making for three years, and it is finally over with, um, you know, sports shows and us talk shows can be able to move on to something else after constantly, endlessly hashing out this topic for literally 
years, and that is finally done. Dallas has their quarterback um, set up and ready to go for the future, and um, you know I do think they will be. Um, they I think they might win um, the NFC East. We'll talk a lot more about that in the uh, next coming weeks, um, but I think they might um, retake uh, the division next year. But lots to talk about that in the next coming weeks. But um, as we hit 4 o'clock here, rounding up another edition of the Mike Sports Roundup. I'm Michael Zabo. Take care. We'll see you all next week, everybody.